Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program. I trust you've been blessed by the series that we've been doing now on the book of Romans. We love to take the Word of God and just dig around in it. And, uh, you know, I, I really, really encourage you to set your DVR. Watch every week if you possibly can, uh, because we are doing some things that I think are chapter by chapter that I believe will really, really help to establish your heart in grace and to hear the gospel being preached. We've already introduced the uh, book of Romans, and uh, we shared with you an introduction for two weeks, and then uh, last week we started uh, talking about, uh, I think we've already probably filmed two, uh, um, two, two uh, uh, weeks of filming on the first 17 verses of the book of Romans. And the first 17 verses are simply the announcements of the good news of the gospel. When Paul would make this statement in, uh, I, I believe it is around verse 17, 17, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And he begins to talk about how the gospel was not just for the Jew, it was for the Gentile also, that he was desiring to come to Rome, that he might impart to them some spiritual gift. Let me say to you quickly before I go on in this, that if you have missed any of these and you want to go back and review them, it's very easy to do that. i got good news for you, even if you didn't set your DVR, it is available on YouTube. I wish you'd tell your friends about our YouTube channel, because you can watch it on demand right there, and you can go back and study all of the stuff that we've argued. There's hundreds of programs there that we have aired that are teachings that I believe will really be a blessing to your life. And the easiest way to do that is simply to go to my website at lynnhiles.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there is icons that will take you to the YouTube channel, that will take you to our podcast on iTunes, and there is an RS feed, RSS feed, I'm sorry, that will take you to a place where you can put that on your Android device. You can listen to it going to work. You can listen to it while you're mowing the lawn. I love this kind of stuff because I like to put my earbuds in while I'm mowing and that kind of stuff and just enjoy listening to the Word of God. And it's a great way to redeem the time when you're stuck in traffic. Hallelujah. But Paul was declaring the good news of the gospel. It was the announcement that, first of all, the gospel lands squarely in a person. And that person is not you, it's Jesus Christ. It's for you, but the gospel is the declaration of His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And Paul comes uh, to these uh, Romans and says that he had a desire to come to them, that he might uh, impart to them some spiritual gift, they might be established uh, in grace, and that they might be established, that their hearts might be established. And then he begins to declare uh, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. And he says, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise to unwise. So as much as in me, as he says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I think it's really, really important that we understand that the gospel was including the Gentiles here, and that there is a response of faith that comes from the gospel being preached of the gospel of grace. And as I've shared before, and I'm going to keep reiterating it, the gospel is both objective and subjective. 
You say, well, that sounds really, really, really hard to understand. Let me just say it in biblical terms. It is the way of grace and the walk of faith. What does that mean? The way of grace is what God did in Christ without any help from you. It's what He did, a one-sided deal for all humanity, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile also. He is the Savior of the world. What a good news announcement. And he, uh, he declares that the gospel and the preaching of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. When you preach what Jesus has already done for humanity, that it's not, the book of Romans is not about do, do, do. It's about done, done, done. It's not about what would Jesus do. It's about what Jesus has already done. And when you preach what Jesus has already done, it brings about the response of faith which is the subjective side of the gospel, because the objective side is the way of grace, what God did in Christ without any help from you. But the subjective side is how you receive by faith and appropriate by faith what God has already done in the finished work. And some people say, well, you don't need a response of faith. I've heard people preaching you don't need faith, but the truth of it is, it's like, yes, they preach, and, and where most of our arguments are at is when we overemphasize one side or the other. Like we overemphasize that He's reconciled all men to Himself. That's, that's absolutely a fact. That He saved, He's the Savior of the world. That's an absolute fact. That, he, that His death, burial, and resurrection was accomplished for all men. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. But He also says, by whose stripes you were healed. So He's not going to heal you. He's already provided healing for you. That's the objective side of the gospel. The subjective side of the gospel is how I hear that He has provided that for me and take my faith and appropriate what He's already accomplished. In other words, my faith is not creating something. My faith is simply receiving what He's already achieved so that I don't have to achieve. I simply receive by faith my healing. I receive my salvation. I receive the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation, and I'm, somebody said, well, no, if you have to believe, then that's a work. No, I'm not, that's not a work. It is absolutely the response of faith to the gospel. You know, the first time I ever preached this, I think I was in Trinidad, West Indies, the first time I ever preached the uh, subjective and, and uh, objective side of the gospel. And I might mention quickly, though, that we do have a series called the Way of Grace and the Walk of Faith. You can go to my website and order that if you'd like. It's called The Way of Grace and the Walk of Faith. Powerful series that I think will bless your heart if you'd like to get it. But the first time I ever preached that, I was in Trinidad, West Indies, and I had a $20 bill. And in their economy, that $20 bill was worth at that time six times what it's worth in, in, in America. So it was a, a $20 bill was worth 120 of their dollars. And I held up a $20 bill and I said, this $20 bill is freely provided for anybody who wants it. It is a free gift. You did not earn it. I earned it. You didn't earn it. But I want to give it to anybody who would like to have this. And I laid it on the altar. And at first, everybody looked like, this must be a trick or something. And then after a little while, somebody got up and they went and got that $20 bill. And uh, then they were kind of shy about, well, maybe I ought to give it back to them. So they started off offering it back to me. I said, no, no, it's, that's not a trick. It's, it's yours. It's a free gift. And I said, what you just did was access by faith what was freely provided you 
by grace. When I laid another $20 bill down on the altar, uh, it didn't take long for people to respond to that. And after that, I took a box of tissues and set it there. I said, this is healing. This is freedom from sin. This is freedom from sickness, poverty, and death. And people began to take those tissues and their faiths could so grasp this gospel that the power of God began to manifest without me laying hands on anybody. And people started getting delivered, set free from bondages. See, it's as simple as believing the simple gospel message. And uh, we shared that a lot last week. I want to move a little further, though, this week, because once again, the first three chapters of the book of Romans is the diagnosis. The next few chapters of the book of Romans is the deliverance. And the latter part is the manifestation of that deliverance. But the first three chapters are meant to be read. The whole thing is meant to be read as one setting of a letter. In other words, if I wrote you a letter, uh, you shouldn't read a paragraph today and a week later read another paragraph. It's really meant to be read in one sitting because if you don't, you miss the flow of what was already said. But in the first two chapters especially, he is indicting everything and everybody for the purpose of bringing the... uh, Uh, diagnosis that he concludes that all the world is under sin and all are guilty and they all need a Savior. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. It said, you know, we we told you how the the, the first part of it, he's declaring the gospel, he's declaring his faith from faith, he wants to encourage them to not draw back to perdition. I shared that last week, but in verse 18, you know, of course last week we, we shared how that he said that just will live by faith. He was quoting from the book of Habakkuk, who said, in the end, the vision will speak and not tarry, and the just will live by faith. And we showed you how Hebrews talked about that very same quote. He quotes the book of Habakkuk, except he says, not the vision, but in a little while, he that will come, will come, and will not tarry. Now the just will live by faith. But he that draw, he said, but if you draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But I am believing that you are not of them who draw back to perdition, but to them who believe to the saving of the soul. So he was talking to Hebrews in the first century who were wanting to go back to Judaism. They were wanting to go back to the old covenant. And he said, if you sin willfully, if you, the word there again means to miss the mark. Probably shouldn't review it as much as I am, but I think it's worth reviewing. Hebrews 6 says that therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ and let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of faith towards God and repentance and of baptisms and of, uh, of the laying on of hands. And that chapter is really dealing with not our modern day concept of laying on of hands and of baptisms. And let me say clearly, I believe in that. I believe in the laying on of hands, and I believe in baptism. But that text is dealing with Old Testament concepts of laying your hands on the head of physical lambs and physical animals and washing them in the mikvah or the ceremonial bath. He said we need to move on from this Old Covenant, laying on of hands of sacrificial animals and go on to perfection because the perfect thing that was about to come was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he says, if you sin will once you have been enlightened and you've tasted of the power of the age to come. The age that was fading off of the scene was the old covenant age, and the coming age, the, uh, the, the power of the coming age was the new covenant age. And he's saying to those Hebrews, he's writing that to Hebrews, if you sin willfully, 
If you miss the mark on purpose, and you go back to animal sacrifice, and you go back to circumcision, and you go back to diverse washings, and you go back to these ceremonial things, there remains no more sacrifice for sin and a certain fearful looking for a fiery indignation which shall come upon them. In other words, he said, if you go back to Judaism, and you go back to the Old Covenant, and you go back to the law, he said, cursed is he that that continueth not in all that the law commanded. So the only way you can curse people in the New Covenant is to put them back up under the law. And so then he begins to declare what that which was perfect was in Hebrews chapter 10. He said, you know, sacrifices and offerings you would as not. You had no pleasure in them, but a body hast thou prepared for me. So he's saying this contrast again to encourage them not to miss the mark on purpose and go back to the laying on of the hands of these animal sacrifices, the divers' washings. And he's saying to them that that he goes on to say that there, that uh, uh, that that Christ, a body was prepared for him that by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He sanctified us by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, and by one offering, one offering He has perfected forever them that are sanctified. So He begins to tell you that your perfection is not on the basis of your performance, it's on the basis of a sacrifice, and that's what He was saying, let us go on unto perfection. I would say to you as well, the word perfection in Hebrews 6 is not a verb, it's not a doing, it is a noun. It is a state of being that the perfection is on the basis of what he did. Ah, I feel like Paul. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's the power of God to salvation. Now, once you believe that, you will begin to act out of that fullness of salvation that you ready that was ready to be revealed in the last time. Not some future last time, the last days of that old covenant that Habakkuk said, in the end, it will speak and will not tarry. And uh, he, you know, and then he said, and the just will live by faith. And then Paul grabs that again, if it's Paul that wrote Hebrews, and chapter 10 of Hebrews, and he says, for we, he says, you know, uh, he, he begins to tell him, come boldly now to the throne of grace. Come, come with, you know, you, you, you have been made, uh, given access to the most holy place through the veil of his flesh so that you could draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. And he tells them, but if you draw back, he starts right there in the middle of that in Hebrews. Let me just go back here a little bit. I didn't mean to review so much, but I think this is so powerful. Of how much, this is Hebrews 10 verse 29, of how much sore punishment, suppose you shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified as an unholy thing, and hath done despite to the Spirit of grace. In other words, if you go back to Judaism, you go back to animal sacrifice, he's pleading with these Hebrews. That's why Paul is saying, I want to strengthen your faith, because we're not of them who draw back to perdition. And he said, because vengeance is going to come, and he said, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And he's reminding them, remember, you, you suffered the spoiling of your goods. You've lost loved ones in arenas. But don't cast away your confidence that has great recompense of reward. Because after you've had patience, and after that you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And he was telling them, yet a little while. I think the Greek says, yet a very little while. Actually, it was within three and a half, yet a little, within three and a half years of this. He that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just will live by faith. 
but if any man draw back my soul shall have no pleasure in him. He quotes Habakkuk again. And so, uh, you know, the powerful, he said, don't go back. But then he begins to declare to them, but we are not of them who go back to perdition, but them who believe to the saving of the soul. So he's saying to them, don't go back because we've been delivered and set free from the wrath to come by the blood of a covenant. That's incredibly good news. So that when he starts in, then again in Romans uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he said, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and animals and creeping things. It appears to me that much of this is directed towards the idolatry of people. All of the perversions that you're going to see that follow was a part of idol worship. Many of the Gentiles, but also it was infiltrating the Jewish nation as they were giving themselves to idolatry as well. It is a result of having a wrong image of God, that, and, and but we are redeemed from this wrath according to Romans 5. He said, therefore God also gave them, watch this, because they would not retain God in their knowledge. As I shared with you in a prior segment, we are trying to represent God. Because when you represent Him, I think what we've done is marred His image to the point that we've made God so ugly that there's no beauty that we would desire Him. But the Song of Solomon said He's altogether lovely. But I think a wrong image of God. The Bible says that what He's talking to both Jews and Gentiles here because He's going to indict everything and everybody. And He's going to tell them that even if you don't have holy writ or you weren't raised in the Scriptures, the things that were made clearly declare God so that you are without excuse. But when they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God, but they worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator. That's why this focus, as I said, this gospel lands squarely on Him and not you. Because what we do most of the time is we want to, we want to change the image of God to be fashioned after me and a God that I have created, and I think religion has done a good job of that. People have done a good job of twisting and trying to make a God who they think is palatable to them. And the reality of it is, is that we are not creating God. God has created us. And so when we look fully into His face, it begins to bring change in our life. And I've noticed that even as many of these perversions that we're going to see down through here, that when people get in them, that they try to stay away from the presence. Anything that relates to the presence of God they'll try to stay away from it. And when they do that, it's usually a sign that they're trying to not retain God in their knowledge. Look what happens. He said, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshiped and served the creature, rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, 
For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to debased minds to do those things which were not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They were whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those that practice such things are deserving of death, not only that do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And so, but it then what happens is, is that as you look at this chapter, what you see is God indicting everything and everybody. Now let me just take, uh, unpack this a little bit, and then we'll come into chapter 2, because He doesn't just indict outsiders and idolaters and Gentiles, but chapter 2, He begins to indict Jew and Gentile. Because what we like to do with Romans chapter 1 is we like to point out what we think are the big sins, like vile passions and men with men and women with women, but we don't want to hit the stuff that talks about hatreds and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness and envies and strife and deceits, which he lists whispers and backbiters, stuff you see in every church. And we want to just throw these other guys under the bus because it keeps the heat off of us. Now, I'm not saying that God is justifying any of these behaviors. But what I'm saying is, as we come into the second chapter, what He shows you is that we're all in the same sinking boat. He's not trying to point them out so that He's against them. He's trying to point out all this stuff so He can so, show you that at some point, no matter what happens in your life, He's trying to bring you to the point where you realize, I think I need a Savior. Because, you know, even the, 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 the judgments that come, He said they receive in themselves the recompense of their error. Uh, let, let me see if I can read it. Which, are they, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. In other words, there are results to what happens. See, see, God is not dealing with sin simply because of what it does to Him. He wants to deal with sin of our lives because of what it does to us. And so all of these behaviors that really are a result of not having a proper image of God. So when we see God, whatever God we see, we change into the self-same image from glory to glory. So if we change God to fit an image to something that makes my lifestyle acceptable, rather than seeing the image of the invisible God made manifest in the person and work of Jesus, then we give ourselves over to all kinds of idolatry, and then we receive in ourselves. And much of the judgment that you see happening in people's lives is not because God is out to get you, but because your own sin is judging you and your own iniquity is, is, is reproving you. And it's like these lifestyles come to an end. And really the issue here is not necessarily even heaven and hell. The issue is, does it produce life or does it produce death? As we will see, if we ever get to study the book of Galatians, Paul says, and I've told you before and I'll tell you again, that they which do such things will not inherit 
the kingdom. And he talks about hatred, malice, envy, strife, divisions, these things here. What he's saying is these are enemies of living not, uh, these are enemies not that don't get you to heaven, but keep you from receiving the kingdom right here. And what God wants for you, and what He wants for all of His creation is to make them whole and to heal them. Of, listen, what He's going to show you is both insiders, outsiders, all of us. I'm not, a, I'm not trying to point the finger at anybody here. I'm trying to tell you all of us are broken in some way or the other, and He is diagnosing our problems so He can bring us to the place where we can receive the gospel that can bring a deliverance to our lives so we can live these glorious lives that God has willed for us. So what this is about is Him bringing about in an indictment to everything and everybody so that we can see that He concludes all under sin so He can have mercy on all. So, uh, you know, He's not singling out just one individual group of people. We, uh, this has become a big issue in the church, is that, you know, we want to point out, well, you know, God is after the gay issue here. But He's not just after the gay issue. He's after everything here that flows from a wrong concept of God and, 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 and trying to stay away from the presence of God, that can bring the change. See, even God is not asking you to do the changing of yourself. The good news is, is after the diagnosis, He starts showing you that He's the remedy to bring about the transformation in your life, not by redoubling your efforts, but by simply entering into what God is doing in you. As we'll see in chapter 4, it's not an Abraham story, it's a God story. And the only thing he's looking for is someone who's willing to come to the place of repentance and say, hey, I find myself, everybody will, everybody will find themselves somewhere in this list of stuff. At some point, come to a right and say, I think I need a Savior. And I think that that's really what he's doing in chapters 1 and 2, is he's diagnosing the problem so that he can bring us to the place where he can tell us in Romans 5, You've been redeemed from wrath because the wrath, for these cause, the wrath of God keeps on coming on the sons of the disobedience, is what he says. And so he was talking about a wrath that was appointed to people under an old covenant paradigm. But you and I aren't under an old covenant paradigm. We've been redeemed and we've been saved from wrath, according to Romans, the fifth chapter. Hallelujah. Here's what he says. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but Romans 5, he said, here it is in a nutshell, message Bible declares. One man did it wrong and got us in all this trouble, sin and death, but another man did it right and got us out of it. But more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into a life, a life that goes on and on and on. So should we keep on sinning so God's grace can abound? God forbid. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? So he gives the diagnosis so he can get the remedy. If you need a remedy for your, your problems today, let me tell you, the good news is the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and, and to everyone, to the Jew and to the Gentile, and we all need the gospel. I hope that's blessed you today. Reach out to Him if you need some deliverance. God will deliver you. Uh, thank you for joining us. Listen, we do need your help to be able to take this kind of a message around the world. If you'd like to sow seed into our ministry to help us take the gospel around the world, uh, just you can uh, send a check or money order to the number that will come up on the screen, or you can just go to the website at landhouse.com. There's a place where you can give via credit card or debit card. You can also give a monthly debit if you'd like to set up that, or uh, you can give a one-time gift. You can send a check money order to the address on the screen, or you can call the number 
that will come on the screen. But do it today. Someone's waiting to hear from you. God bless you, and thank you for take, helping us take the gospel around the world. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.